Let's open our Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 3. No. Oh, yes, leave a bookmark in Philippians 3. And turn over, please, to Matthew chapter 16. First scripture to look at is in Matthew 16, so it would be good to have our Bibles open there. And then we'll go to Philippians 3. There is something uh, fascinating about the stock market. Frantic traders on the floor or in front of their computers trade with profits and losses that can move by the thousands in a number of seconds. Everyday fortunes are made and everyday fortunes are lost. For most of us, I expect that the gains and the losses are much less dramatic. Perhaps you have invested in some shares and you look up the share price regularly. And if it's gone up, you wish you had invested more. And if it's gone down, you wonder why you didn't sell them last week or last month. Now, I want you to picture the whole world as a stock market. The whole world as one massive trading floor. Every day as you go out into this world of opportunity, you are investing. You have been entrusted with this precious resource called life and every day you are given the opportunity to invest it. How should you make that investment? What are the best areas? What are the best stocks to invest in? What stocks should you add to your life portfolio? As you consider the endless choices before you, you know that as with any market, some investments will increase in value and other investments will decrease in value. So you walk around bewildered by the dazzling array of choices. Our society these days is fairly sophisticated and we have a vast array of choices. Choices galore as to how to invest. Careers, so many options. Sports, hobbies, travel, real estate, relationships, entertainment, holidays, church ministries, all are investments. And the options seem endless and it's not easy to know how we should best invest our lives. And yet we all have a desire for profit. We all have a desire for gain. That's our first point to establish this morning. All of us have a strong desire to invest our lives wisely. No one wants to trash their lives. In one way or another, everyone wants to make the most of it. And when we come to the end, We want to know that what we have invested in is of lasting value. 
And the reason that we all feel this way is because God has made us with a desire for gain. If we are in the market for a new product, a new appliance, we try to get the best price. And if we discover that some place has got that item for 50% off, half price, we get excited. Where does that come from? It's deeply embedded in us all. God put it there. Every one of us has a conscience, an inbuilt, innate knowledge of basic morality. Where does that come from? God put it there. But he's also put within us the desire for gain. And the interesting thing is that Jesus appealed openly and unashamedly to our desire for gain. I'll give you three examples of that, all from the Gospel of Matthew. Firstly, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, don't need to look it up, you probably know the words, Jesus said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Jesus is appealing to people who want the maximum return on the investment of their lives, and he tells you, this is how to do it. Secondly, Matthew 25, Jesus told a parable about how we should invest our lives. Three servants were entrusted with, the, with resources by their master who then went away. And when the master returned, those servants who had made wise investments and showed a profit were commended. And the servant who wasted his resources who wasted the opportunity to invest wisely, was actually punished. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And then thirdly, here in Matthew 16, you've got your Bible open, Matthew 16, Jesus warns us against wasting our lives. He warns us against unacceptable losses. Look at verse 26. For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying there are some losses you can't afford to take. Nothing is more valuable than your soul. And to lose your soul, having gained the whole world, to lose your own soul and die and go to hell is a loss you cannot afford to take. Therefore, Jesus said, invest wisely. Invest in a way that results in eternal profit, not everlasting loss. Now you might be wondering how all this talk about gain fits into what Jesus spoke about, the cost of following him. The Bible never hides the cost of following Jesus. Look at verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Remember when Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and he prepared the fish and he gave this invitation. He said, come and dine, D-I-N-E. Well, someone else has summed up the cost of following Jesus like this. When Christ calls a man, it's an invitation to come and die. To follow Christ... There's a sacrifice. To follow Christ, there's a cost involved. But what we've 
quoted is only half of Jesus' statement. In 24, verse 24, he speaks about the cost. But in verse 25, he said, Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Even the cost of following Christ is a sacrifice we make with a view of much greater gain, ultimately. There is a cost, but the reward is greater. What you gain is far greater than anything you'll lose. Jesus wants to show you how you can invest your one journey through life in such a way as to gain the maximum returns. And the basis of his appeal is our inbuilt desire for the greatest profit. Now, second heading there is the greatest crash in history. The whole of the Bible story from Genesis 3 onwards is really a story about making up for an incredible loss. In creation, God filled the world with good gifts for our first parents to enjoy, but Satan came into the garden, the enemy came in, and in one day, paradise was lost. That was the greatest crash in human history. The market of this world has been severely depressed ever since. Nothing in this world is what it was, nor what it could have been. And the overall message of the Bible is about how paradise will be restored and how the life that God wants us to know is regained. Jesus Christ was sent into the world in the fullness of time. Jesus Christ came into the world that we might have abundant life, everlasting life. Satan came into the garden, what, to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus has come to overcome those losses and restore God's priceless gifts to us. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians 3 in the form of personal testimony. So I want you to turn back to our original reading from Philippians chapter 3. And let's notice here Paul's early investments. In Philippians 3, Paul has a lot to say about investments. He has a lot to say about the experience of gains and losses. He even uses business terms. He even uses accounting terms. The heart of the passage is in verses 7 and 8. And you'll notice in verse 7, the, the, there is the word there, gain. The word gain is used, that's a noun. And also in verse 8 at the end, there's the word win, and that's a verb. And two different words in English, same word in Greek. Kurdos, and it means profit. Profit. If you were an accountant, that's the word that you describe, that would you, that's the word you'd use to describe the profit column. That's what the word was used to relate to. Also notice in verses 7 and 8 that three times the word loss appears. 
beginning of verse 8 and the end of verse 8 and uh, also somewhere else it's all there three times uh, one's a verb one's sorry two and two two and nouns one word is a verb but again same greek word same from the same root the word for loss again is a business term this is the word that you would use to describe the loss column on your balance sheet so the apostle paul is talking here about profit and loss Notice also that in verse 7 he uses the word counted. The word is hegeomai, which means to count or to account or to reckon. Again, an accounting, it's a business term. So Paul here is talking in terms of business transactions that involve a profit column and a loss column. He talks about his own profits. And losses. In other words, here in Philippians 3, Paul is talking about his own, his own life portfolio, his life investments. He lists them here in verses 4 and 5. He says, Though I also may have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then he lists his things that were of value in his life his investments verse 5 circumcised the eighth day of the stock of israel the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of the hebrews is touching the law a pharisee paul was born into a position of great privilege we might say he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and right from the very, very beginning of his life, he was born into certain advantages and opportunities. And Paul, Saul, his name was then, seized those opportunities and he turned them into achievements. He trained under Gamaliel to become a Pharisee. It's a wonderful opportunity that put him on the fast track to success in his chosen career. His education was something like going to Oxford or Cambridge. In Paul's day, Pharisees were amongst the most respected people of the land. They were the intellectuals. They were the, the shapers of culture. And they were regarded by, with a kind of awe that we today reserve for, for rock stars and sports stars. Notice how verse 6 begins. Concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church. Saul poured his energies into the pursuit of an exemplary life and was highly respected for it. He was climbing the career ladder. His commitment, his passion, his zeal were noted and he was entrusted with the most politically sensitive issue of the day that is curbing the growth of this Christian church. Not only was he entrusted with that task, he was given responsibility and resources to get the job done. This is the sort of man, the kind of man that could be trusted with a very, very difficult task and would get it done. So here's a man who has everything going for him. If anyone can get that job done, first candidate is Saul of Tarsus. Everything going for him. Gifted and diligent, sincere and passionate, committed, respected, admired and trusted. He had position, he had achievement, he had power. His life portfolio was full. 
Paul was interested in more than just a successful career. Look at verse 6, the second part. He says, it's touching the righteousness which is in the law. He said, I was blameless. He was a deeply moral man and had been very, very careful about moral choices. And when he states here that he was blameless with regard to legalistic righteousness, he's not claiming to be perfect. What he's saying is he lived according to the rules of a Pharisee. He gave his full effort to, to the pursuit of a moral life. And that's why he says back in verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more so. Now sometimes we think of the flesh in connection with the worst of human behaviour. But the word flesh is also used in the Bible to describe human effort at its best. And that's its meaning here. Paul poured himself into the pursuit of a highly successful moral life and was looking forward to being appropriately rewarded by God for his efforts. If we put this into the contemporary setting, he probably thought that his judgment day would be like the Oscars of Hollywood, with the great ones gathered so that their achievements can be recognised. A great crowd gathers, the stars are dressed in style, each one smiles as highlights of their achievements are flashed across the screen. And an angel calls out the nominations. And the archangel opens a white envelope. And the winner in the pursuing and exemplary life category is Saul of Tarsus. Many people believe that if their lives are marked by success and permeated with morality, then they will end up on God's congratulation list and be eligible for eternal rewards. That's exactly how Paul felt. His life portfolio was very impressive, heavily invested. He invested heavily in position and achievement and power and along with that, he was extremely moral. He lived an exemplary life. And many people spend their whole lives trying to build that kind of portfolio. But then something happened in Saul's life that changed everything. One day he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when out of the blue, the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him. Light from heaven flashed about him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice from heaven, didn't know who it was. But there was this authoritative voice from heaven speaking to him by name. He knew that he was in the presence of overwhelming power and glory. And he also had an understanding that the voice of the person, the person speaking to him could certainly destroy him in a moment. This is what the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who art thou, Lord? And the answer came, I'm Jesus, 
whom you are persecuting. This was devastating. Far from God's manifest presence being a party of congratulations, Saul found himself groveling on the ground, overwhelmed by the awesome holiness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Having poured himself into an exemplary life and having considered no doubt himself to be a candidate for great reward, he could only fall flat on his face before the awesome holiness of the risen Lord whose claims and cause he pledged himself to destroy. He saw the righteousness that was in the face of Jesus Christ and he thought to himself that if that kind of righteousness is required, then I'll never make it. And like many religious people today, <clears throat> Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. At that moment, his whole view of life changed completely. He caught a glimpse of what it would be like to stand in the presence of God. And he realized that his life portfolio was full of the, the wrong kind of stock. His position, his achievement, his power, his morality were of no use to him on the Damascus Road in the presence of Christ. And they would be no use to him when he slipped through the curtain of death and entered into the immediate presence of the glorious Lord. On the road to Damascus, Saul discovered what finally matters is not how well we do against a moral system, but it's how we relate to a person, that is Jesus Christ. There on the Damascus Road, Paul suffered a devastating loss. Philippians 3 verse 8 says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and account them but dung, that I might win or gain Christ. About 30 years after the Damascus Road experience, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. And he looked back on the years since that remarkable day on the Damascus Road, and he reflects on his gains and losses. And he says, let me tell you about my life portfolio now. Now, clearly his early investments had taken a severe battering. This man who previously stood in a position of admiration and respect and privilege was now almost universally disowned by his people. Gifted with a brilliant mind, remarkably well educated, a master of rhetoric, brilliant mind, spent the last 30 years living virtually as a vagabond, making tents. 
and entrusted with power to imprison others, he now found himself in prison, chained to a guard even as he wrote. After 30 years, his portfolio was devastated. Everything that he held dear was gone. I've lost all things for Christ's sake. Now Paul is not suggesting that if you become a Christian you'll lose your career or you'll lose your acceptance with others, you'll lose your influence. That's Certainly not true of everyone that becomes a Christian, but it was the case for Paul. He's saying, this is what happened to me. On account of Christ, he says, I've lost everything that used to be in my portfolio. But, he's saying, he's saying I, don't, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. Everything I've lost is nothing compared to what I've gained. Everything I've lost is nothing compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what's in your portfolio now, Paul? Well, for the last 30 years, I've been investing heavily in a new kind of stock. I've been making new investments. Let me tell you about it. New kind of investment. End of verse 8. It says that I may win or gain Christ investing in that beginning verse 10 that I may know Christ I've been investing in that in effect Paul is saying that the the great possession and or great passion sorry great passion and investment of my life has been to know Jesus Christ to have Jesus and to know Jesus and to serve Jesus I want to gain Christ, verse 8. I want to know Christ, verse 10. This is what I've been investing in the last 30 years. And I've also realized the value of his righteousness, verse 9. Found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that, which, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God, God's righteousness, which I have through faith. Verse 11, also been investing heavily in a coming future day of resurrection. I caught a glimpse of that. I caught a glimpse of the future on the Damascus Road. I know that one day soon I will stand in the awesome presence of God. And now I'm trying to live every day, every moment, my whole life with the, the reality of that which lies ahead. That's why I want to know more about Christ. That's why I want to serve Christ. I'm looking forward to standing in his presence. I think verse 11 is sometimes misunderstood. When Paul says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, he's not expressing any doubt as to whether he would share in the resurrection, only about how it would happen for him. He didn't know whether he'd pass through death into the presence of Christ or whether he'd be alive when Christ returns. But either way, Paul had invest, was investing his life in the day when he's going to stand before God. His glorified body in the presence of the Lord. Verse 14. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul says, don't at all feel sorry for me on account of what I've lost. My position, my achievement, my power. All of that's of no value when I stand before the Lord. It's really only, what's he say, dung, rubbish. That's all rubbish, verse 8. Leave it all behind, verse 13. My life portfolio is now filled with Christ and his righteousness. It's loaded, it's aimed towards, it's all heading towards. I'm investing in the day of coming day of resurrection. And I wouldn't trade this present portfolio for anything else in the world. He wrote this from prison and at that point in time he couldn't rub two coins together. And yet he, yet he was convinced that what he had in Christ was so much more than everything that he'd lost. Point number six, let's just talk a little bit for a moment about insider information. Very, very helpful if you invest in stocks to have some insider information. Is that legal? No. <laughs> no. But it's okay here, okay? Let me explain. Let's, let's approach it this way. Imagine for a moment that you're given a glimpse of the future, what the stock market would look like in five years' time. And if you knew that, that what was recorded there, what it would look like in five years' time, was, it was extremely accurate, guaranteed, no speculation, what would you do? Suppose that you saw that the share price for a particular company that you're investing in would lose half of its value in five years. What would you do? Or suppose that you saw that the share price of a present lowly rated company would soar in value over the next five years. What would you do? Okay, we all have this inbuilt desire for gain. You would... Presumably, as much as you possibly could, you would get out of what's going down and you would get into what's going up. You would invest heavily in what will rise in value and you would regard this glimpse into the future as an opportunity of a lifetime. Paul had seen the future. The risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and Paul caught a glimpse of what it's going to be like on the judgment day to stand before him. He understood that what was in his life portfolio was absolutely no use to him. He needed Christ. He needed Christ's righteousness, whatever the cost. That was the thing to have. That's the, stock. That's the only stock. Everything else, he saw, it's, it's all going down. It's of no value whatsoever when I stand before the Lord. And having given, been given this glimpse in the future, guaranteed, this is what, guaranteed this is what it's going to look like, Paul then recalibrated his whole life accordingly. That's why he could say back in Philippians 1 verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. My whole life. It's all just one thing. And to die, I said, man, that is, that's payday. That's gain. 
Paul had discovered that knowing Christ and his righteousness is of supreme value now, without question. But the day you die, the value of that investment, the value of your portfolio goes through the roof. Some time ago I read about a man who was in hospital for a major operation. There were several patients in the ward. Their beds were on either side of his. And one night the person in the bed next to him had died while he slept. His body was taken away and when the man woke up in the morning, the curtains were around. He could hear the nurses on the other side of the curtain speaking, sorting out the belongings, the effects that this dead man had left behind in the cupboard so they could then be returned to his family. So when this man awoke, the first things he heard the nurse saying was, gold watch, radio, two books, silver pen. What do you have that will be of value when you die? Today we're surrounded by many people who are afraid to die and the reason for their fear is that they know or they suspect that, they, that everything they have will be of no use the moment the death comes. Even Christians have this fear of getting to the end and standing before the Lord and Everything that they've done amounts to nothing. It's hardly something to sing about. And yet someone wrote a hymn, Must I go and empty-handed, thus my Redeemer to meet? Not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet. Oh, the years of sinning wasted, could I but recall them now, I would give them to my Saviour, to his will I'd gladly bow. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Saviour so? Not one soul with which to greet him, must I empty-handed go? O oh, ye saints, arouse, be earnest, up. And work while yet tis day, ere the night of death o'ertake thee. Strive for soul still while you may. Paul's, Paul invested his life in such a way that that day when he stood before the Lord would be a day of incredible gain. Every day investing, every day investing, every day investing. He's got nothing in this world. But every day he's investing for the Lord, for that coming day when he stands before the Lord. There's nothing in this world. It's all laid up for the next. One day the markets will close. And the opportunities for investing our lives will be over. God will talk, call time. And there, then we, we will, as it were, cash in the investments of our lives. 
And Jesus said that among those people who were outside of the presence of God on that day, there would be among them weeping, gnashing of teeth. When they open up their life portfolio, their position, their achievements, their power, everything they held stock in in this life will have lost its value, be worthless. A person on the outside will be weeping and gnashing their teeth, saying, if only, if only I had Christ, if only I had his righteousness, if only I had entrance into eternal life, I'd do anything to invest in that stock now. There is coming a day, brethren, guaranteed market down, that the, the, most of the people in this world will desire to have what the faithful Christian has today. There's coming a day. They will want it. The Bible talks about some Christians who are actually tortured for their faith, refusing to be released. Why? They just renounce Christ. If they just denied the faith, they could be spared so much. But they refused to be released. They endured and endured and endured. End of Hebrews 11 tells us. They didn't accept deliverance. Why? Because to have Christ and his righteousness and to be heading for a day of resurrection and to live faithfully for the Lord is more valuable than any temporal blessing that can be known in this life. And finally, let's talk just very briefly about evaluating your life investments. <clears throat> what do you have in your life portfolio at this moment? What have you been investing in? Where does, where, does, where does your time go? Where does your energy go? Where do your resources go? Where do you, where do you go when, when your time, your money, your, your, when, your, when your pockets are full of money, when, the time, when you don't have anything else to do? It's all, it's all up to you. Where, where do you go? What do you do when it's just all up to you? What have you been investing in? And of what value will that be? when we stand in the presence of the Lord. There's many people who hold back from following Jesus and serving Jesus because they're worried about the cost. They're worried about the cost in terms of time. They're worried about the cost in terms of energy, the cost in terms of money, the cost in terms of commitment. They look at the cost but not the value. It will cost you to know Christ, to have his righteousness and to share in his resurrection. It will cost you your pride. You can't have that anymore. You've got to humble yourselves. And it will cost you your sin. You can't have that too and have Christ. You've got to forsake sin and turn to Christ. But beyond that, I can't predict what it will cost you to follow Christ. It may be that God indeed does bless you as a Christian with a wonderful career and great prosperity and wonderful opportunities to pour your financial resources into the advancement of the kingdom of God. Or it may be that because you are a Christian in your place of work and employment and future prospects, you know, doors are now closed on you because of Christ. Opportunities are now denied you because you name the name of Christ. That, that, that may be the case. But the Apostle Paul invites you to measure the cost against the value. Verse 8 
Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win or gain Christ, and to be found in him. To be found in him is of infinite value. And to die without Christ is the ultimate loss, eternal loss. Well, today the market's open. Okay, The bell's ringing, the market is open. And you have the invitation, you have the opportunity to invest your life heavily in Jesus Christ and his course. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And with some Christians, the last five years, really nothing for Christ. Last 10 years, nothing for Christ. 20 years, nothing for Christ. Well, that's, today's the day to start making up for lost time. The Bible makes it clear that at the end of this life, we'll all stand before the Lord. Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ where they'll gain rewards or suffer the loss of rewards. Unbelievers will stand at the great white throne judgment. There is no positive rewards there. Only judgment. But Paul was given a glimpse of what it would mean to stand before the presence of God. And from that time onwards, he knew that his greatest need was for Christ and his righteousness. His greatest opportunity was to invest his life in Christ and his righteous causes to live his life for the glory of God. God gives us incredible opportunity, inside information of knowing the future. It's legal. Okay. It's inspired. We know the future. So that, so that we may be able to invest our lives wisely in light of it. And there are great investment opportunities as we prepare for 2024. Okay. Let's get in early. More labour is required. Opportunity to invest in the Lord's work. More resources required. More opportunities to invest in the Lord's work. God tells you what will be rewarded. He tells us how we should live our lives. The greatest loss that any person can experience is to stand in the presence of God without Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Therefore, unable to participate in the resurrection unto eternal life. Greatest loss. There's a warning there. We know what the future looks like. Hell is described. Vivid details. Take care of that today. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But knowing Jesus Christ as our Saviour and serving the Lord is worth any cost because there is nothing of greater value. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of knowing you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for telling us in advance about the day when we stand before your presence so that we can live each day in light of it. Help us to remember the true value of knowing Jesus Christ, even when it is costly for us to honour his name. Pray that you deliver us from seeking short-term gains that would be long-term losses. Help us to accept 
short-term losses. That will be eternal gains. Help us to live a sacrificial life joyfully. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray in his worthy name. Amen.